Buck Benny, the two-fisted, quick-triggered marksman who shoots from the hip and never misses. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. It's 2018. Welcome to a very special Jack Benny show. Tonight, uh, Jack is going to check in on the World Series, and we're going to, after that, present you the actual World Series last game of the 1948 World Series. So I think you'll really enjoy that. It's between the Indians and the Braves, and uh, you'll get a chance to see how it's going to end. They went six games, and this is the last part of the sixth game. You're going to get about uh, like 45 minutes of it or something of the game. You can always fast forward through that if you want. Uh, After that, we'll have the Phil Harris Alice Faye show. And following that will be Jack Benny jumping back 10 years to get to the Jack Benny from 1938. It is the episode called Yellow Jack. And Yellow Jack was a film from 1938, I believe. And I love it when Jack does these films. He does a great job with these skits. I think it's going to be a great night overall. So I hope you enjoy everything. And I'll get out of your way so you can just enjoy your evening of sports and Jack Benny, and Phil Harris, and a little uh, movie at the end, Yellow Jack. Enjoy. The Jack Benny Program, presented by America's largest selling cigarette, Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike, first again with tobacco men. More independent tobacco experts smoke Lucky Strike regularly than the next two leading brands combined. A recent impartial survey reveals this overwhelming smoking preference of the men who really know tobacco, the independent auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen. These are the independent tobacco experts, the top men in their field, who year after year can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. And remember, for their own personal smoking enjoyment, these experts choose Lucky Strike. So let this personal smoking preference of the experts lead you to Lucky Strike. Light up a Lucky, and puff by puff, you'll see. L-S-M-F-T. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, and this fine Lucky Strike tobacco means a world of smoking enjoyment for you. Yes, you'll like Lucky Strike. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, the sportsman, and yours truly, Don Wilson. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's go out to Jack Benny's house in Beverly Hills. At the moment, Rochester is alone straightening up Jack's room. Well, I've put away almost everything the boss brought home from Europe. Hmm, what's this? Oh, these are some of the souvenirs Mr. Benny brought back. A beret from France, wooden shoes from Holland, and a barnacle off the Queen Mary. (laughs) He must have got that when he was diving for coins. (laughs) Say, what's this little book? Let's see. Oh, it's Mr. Benny's diary of his trip. I think I'll take a little peek. No. (laughs) Emily Post says it isn't right to read other people's personal notes. But Emily ain't here, so (laughs) peekaboo. 
here's the first entry in the diary. It says... July 10th, Dear Diary. We arrived in London today. It thrills me to be in this historical old city with all its picturesque scenery. I was lucky to get a room overlooking the beautiful Hotel Savoy. <laughs> which is much better than paying Savoy prices and overlooking the dump I'm living in. <laughs> London's famous Palladium Theater. What an event. It was the most exciting thing that has happened to me in all my 39 years. <laughs> the theater was jammed with important people. Everybody was there except the king and queen. Poor things, they couldn't get tickets. <laughs> Whoa, diary, come now. August 10th, dear diary. Yesterday, we arrived in Paris. Well, now we're getting someplace. <laughs> Paris is a very gay city. Last night, the whole gang went to the Kit Kat Club, the Casino de Paris, and the Follies Bergere. But I didn't join them. I visited the Eiffel Tower, the Arc de Triomphe, and the Louvre Museum. Mmm, 39, he says. <laughs> August 17th, Dear Diary. Yesterday was my last night in Paris, and what a time I had. I met a cute little French dancer, and we went to all the gay spots. We finally wound up in a tiny candlelit cafe, and I toasted her by drinking champagne out of her slipper. It was very romantic till I choked on Dr. Scholl's foot pad. <laughs> Ah, what sweet memories I have of little Suzette. Every time I think of her, a lump comes to my throat. Mmm, <laughs> Suzette. Well, this is pretty interesting. But I better get downstairs and dust the library. The boss and his gang are gonna listen to the World Series. Hope I get a chance to hear it. It should be exciting. Boston Braves versus Satchel Paige. <laughs> yeah, I better hurry. Now, come on, Polly, try it again. Say, bonsoir, monsieur. Polly. What's the matter, boss? Oh, I've been trying to teach Polly French, but it's no use. Rochester, arrange the chairs around the radio. You know, my gang will be here. Mind myself from Armitage, Polly Boo. I guess Polly's older than I thought. Been around, too. Now, arrange the chairs, Rochester. I will. Say, boss, I finished putting away all your souvenirs from your trip. You really had a great time in Europe, didn't you? Yes, it was wonderful, except for that one thing that marred the end of the trip. Something followed me back from Europe. What was it, boss? What was it? An echo. Oh, for a minute I thought it was Suzette. <laughs> no, no, Rochester, it was a crazy echo. See, it started in Switzerland when I heard the Swiss yodelers, and it followed me ever... Hey, wait a minute. How did you know about Suzette? You read my diary, didn't you? Well, boss, I just... Now, wait to... a minute, Rochester. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. A diary is a personal thing, and you shouldn't have read it. Where did you find it? In your folio. In my folio? Folio, lady. (laughs) 
There it is, Rochester. Did you hear? Did you hear that echo? I didn't hear anything. But you must have. Listen. Hello. Hello. You, you heard it that time, didn't you? No, sir. I didn't hear a thing. But you must have. It was a definite echo. Try it. Now, you, try it and you'll see. Now, you yell hello. Okay. Hello. Holly, you keep out of this or I'll give you a good spanking. You better not, boss. The last time you spanked her, she laid a cracked egg. Oh, yeah. We had to eat it right away. <laughs> now, Rochester, the gang will be over pretty soon, so place the chairs around the radio. Yes, sir. And the phone. I'll get it. Hello? Yes, this is Jack Benny. No, no, no. My program goes on at 5 o'clock, California daylight time. No, 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 no. That's 7 o'clock in the east. Well, certainly I'm sure. I did my program at 5 o'clock last week. Yes, yes, I'm positive. You're welcome. Who was that, boss? NBC. They're mixed up, too. <laughs> these, these different times are so confusing. That, mu that must be some of the gang coming over to hear the World Series. I'll get, I'll get the door. Everyone knows I'm a rambling rose I'm a beauty growing wild Oh, hello, Dennis Hello, Rosie oh you, oh, you heard me singing Come on in You know, Dennis, you're the first one to arrive I wanted to get here before the prices change <laughs> Dennis, I only do that for the Rose Bowl game Now, come on Come on in the den and we'll... Hey, wait a minute. Dennis, this is the first time I've ever seen you wearing glasses. Are your eyes bad? No. And why are you, why are you wearing those glasses? My uncle died and left them to me. <laughs> your uncle? Oh, that's... That's... That's a shame. Yeah, I can't see a darn thing with them. Well, for heaven's sake, kid, if you can't see with them, take them off. Just because somebody leaves you something in a will, you're not compelled to use it. I'm not? No. You want to buy a set of teeth? <laughs> now cut that out! <laughs> and stop making things up. Look, I just happened to remember this morning I saw your uncle walking down the street. That was my aunt. He left her his clothes. <laughs> well, that's the silliest thing I ever heard. Now look, kid. You don't need those glasses, so take them off. Okay. But I'm glad you came over early because I want you to run through the song you're going to do on the program. What are you going to sing? Hair of Gold, Eyes of Blue. That's a cute number. Go ahead. I came down from Butte, Montana For a little change of scene And I stopped a day in Santa Fe Where I met a pretty queen Oh, hair of gold, eyes of blue, lips like cherry wine. The prettiest gal I ever knew, and I'm gonna make her mine. Oh, I planned to leave on Monday, but she held me kinda tight. So I held the ground and hung around, and I left on Friday night. Oh, hair of gold, eyes of blue. Lips like cherry wine. 
prettiest gal I ever knew, and I'm gonna make her mine. I was kind of blue and lonely, so I took my horse and pack, and on Sunday morn was up and gone, heading south and riding back. Oh, hair of gold, eyes of blue, lips like cherry wine. The prettiest gal I ever knew, and I'm gonna make her mine. Oh, hair of gold, eyes of blue, lips like cherry wine. <laughs> the prettiest gal I ever knew, and I'm gonna make her song. You, you know, you always seem to pick good ones for the program. Thanks. Oh, say, Mr. Benny, I meant to ask you something. Uh, do you still hear that echo that bothered you last week? Yes, Dennis, once in a while. It's got me worried, too. I can't figure out what it is. Well, it could be a figment of your imagination. Huh? Or it might be a hallucination brought on by overexertion of the subconscious mind, which can be attributed to a neurotic psychosis. <laughs> Dennis. Dennis, what does that mean? I don't know. It was on the card I got when I weighed myself this morning. <laughs> I thought so. Well, look at the gang ought to be here pretty soon. Oh, Rochester. Yes, boss. Uh, get some refreshments ready. Yes, sir. Are we going to push the hot dogs or the penis today? We're not going to push anything. They'll look, they'll see. If they like, they'll buy. <laughs> Just, uh, just get them ready. Okay, will you let me know when Satchel Page is pitching? Yes, yes, I'll let you know. Well, I guess they're here. Go on the den and sit down, kid. Hair of gold, eyes of blue, lips like cherry wine. I've got the eyes, I've got the lips, I wish the hair was mine. <laughs> oh, hello, Mary. Hiya, Don. Hello, Jack. Hi, Jack. Don, where's your car? Well, I left it at Mary's house and we walked over. Well, I don't blame you. It's such a sunny day. Not when you're walking with Don. <laughs> I see what you mean. Come on in. The game hasn't started yet. Oh, by the way, Jack, I want to thank you for that nice present you brought me from England. Oh, what did he bring you, Don? A genuine cowhide belt, but I feel a little guilty when I wear it. <laughs> guilty now, why? <laughs> well, I hate to think that two cows had to die so I could hold up my pants. <laughs> All right, Don, all right. <laughs> Don. Don, you, do, you don't have to shake like that. We haven't, been, we haven't been sponsored by them for seven years. Now, come on. Let's go in the, let's go in the den and sit down. Okay. Well, look who's here. Hello, Dennis. Who's that? Dennis, take off those glasses. <laughs> okay. Oh, hello, Mary Hello, Dennis Dennis, I didn't know you wore glasses Are your eyes bad? Don't answer them, kid I wouldn't go through that again for a million dollars 
Well, look, now let's, let's get ready to hear the game, huh? Say, Jack, on the way over here, I was telling Don all about our trip to Europe, and he got such a big kick out of it. I sure did, Jack. How was London? Did you have a good time there, too? Did I, Don? I went everywhere. Waterloo Bridge, Piccadilly Circus, Westminster Abbey, all the places you read about. Did you go to Buckingham Palace to see the changing of the guard? Well, uh, not exactly. Uh, Jack went to the Bank of England to see the guarding of the change. <laughs> Say, Mary, that was a pretty good gag. You know, you ought to save that. For the program? No, just save it. <laughs> now, look, at as soon as Phil gets here... We'll... Oh, boss! Yes? Is Satchel Page pitching yet? The game doesn't start for ten minutes. Oh! Gee, come to, come to think of it, you know, I don't even know who is going to pitch. I bet it won't be my uncle. Dennis, now be quiet. Say, kids, I'll bet Bob Hope's the most excited person in Hollywood on account of the World Series. Why? Well, Bob owns the Cleveland Indians. So what? Jack owns Cleveland. <laughs> owns Cleveland, owns Cleveland. A few square miles, she makes a big thing out of it. <laughs> well, it's almost time for the game. Jack, wasn't that an exciting finish in the American League this year? It certainly was. And yet... You know, when I had lunch with Leo DeRocha in New York this summer, he told me he thought the National League was going to be in a tight race, too. But, Jack, anyone could see that the Boston Braves were running away with a pennant. That's exactly what I told Leo. Told Leo <laughs> There it goes again, that echo. Now, don't tell me you didn't hear it. You heard it, didn't you, Don? I didn't hear a thing, Jack. Neither did I. Did you hear it, Dennis? No, but don't go by me. I'm wearing glasses. <laughs> well, I told you to take them off. This echo is driving me crazy. If it doesn't stop, I'll, I'll do something desperate. Oh, don't get so excited, Jack. Supposing you do hear an echo. What's so terrible about that? Plenty. Someday I may sit down and hear Fred Allen's program twice. <laughs> Just think of that. Rochester, there's the buzzer. Is Satchel Page pitching yet? No. Then I'll answer the door. <laughs> Jack, uh, who do you really think will win the series? Well, Don, it's my belief that Cleveland has a decided edge in pitchers, but Boston seems stronger in fielding. Now, while they're evenly matched in batting power, Cleveland seems to rate this psychological advantage. Therefore, I pick Cleveland. And, Don, I base this conclusion on my complete knowledge of sports. Yeah. Some knowledge of sports. What? You think gorgeous George plays a violin with Phil Spitalny. <laughs> I do not. I found out last Hiya, week... Hi, Jackson, Dante. Hello, Livy. You want touch of Venus, you. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Dennis. <laughs> Hello, Alice. Dennis, give me those glasses! <laughs> what a kid. What about the game, Jackson? Started yet? No, and there's no sense listening. It's all settled. Grantland Benny picks Cleveland to win. Yes, and they will win, too. What are you talking about? Cleveland ain't got a chance. Oh, they haven't, eh? Would you like to bet a hundred bucks? Yes. Well, call up Bob Hope. He's taking all he can get. <laughs> Come on, put up or shut up. <laughs> Wise guy. Never mind about Hope. I'll bet you a buck. I just want to win one of your dollars. One of my dollars? Why? I want to see what Washington looked like when he was a boy. <laughs> Oh, fine. Phil, you don't even know who George Washington was. I do, too. George Washington was the father of our country. Well. He was first in war, first in peace, and first again with tobacco men. 
Phil, who told you that? I cannot tell a lie. I did it with my little fat commercial. Oh. Well, very good, Don, but I didn't know they had cigarettes in those days. Well, sure, Jack. When Washington threw that dollar across Potomac, they threw back a packet of Luckies and 83 cents change. <laughs> no. Huh? Yes, but they didn't have any matches then, so they threw them a Boy Scout and two sticks. <laughs> Gee, Mary, I always thought... Come on, Jack, look what time it is. Are we going to listen to the game or not? Oh, yeah. Hey, wait a minute, Jackson. Before you turn on the radio, I want to tell you the most amazing thing you ever heard. What is it, Phil? Last week, I saw a ball game. There were 16 home runs and not a single man scored. Wait a minute, Phil. 16 home runs and not a single man scored? How was that? They were all married. <laughs> oh, Harris, you've got so much more than Spike Jones. Why should you fight it? <laughs> Phil, Phil, tell me something. What? Which one of your heads has the Tony? <laughs> now, let's get settled down and we... Say, we'll... boss, is Satchel Paige pitching yet? Rochester, the game hasn't started. Well, the other broadcast is warm-up. I'll let you know when it's time. <laughs> Made myself from Armitage, Parlyville... <laughs> Darn that bird. I told you to keep quiet. Who are you? Polly, take off my glasses. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. Hey, Jackson, come on. Turn on the radio. Yeah, let's hear the game. Okay, okay. Folks, do you have a friend or relative who drinks too much? Well, just remember that alcoholism is a disease that can be cured That's by... That's not the station. Don't turn it off, Jackson. I want to tell Frankie about this. <laughs> Never mind, Frankie. Oh, come on, Jack. Find the station or we'll miss the game. All right. And here we are in the bottom half of the third inning in what promises to be an exciting ball game. Gee, it started already. Yeah. What a crowd. The stadium is jammed with important people from all over the world. Everybody's here except the king and queen of England. Poor things, they couldn't get tickets. <laughs> Gee, they miss everything, don't they? There's one out. Bases are loaded, Keltner's on first, Mitchell on second, and Kennedy and Greenberg are on third. He won't get off for anybody, that guy. As you know, Bearden is pitching for the Indians and Bickford for the Braves. Bickford's taking his time and he's plenty worried. I don't blame him. Boss? What? Page? No. Oh! <laughs> I wish he'd listen on his own radio. Pickford, the pitcher, is winding up. Remember, folks, one out, who draw at bat, and the bases are lonely but loaded. Gosh, the, the pitcher's really in a hole. Holy ole. <laughs> Holy smokes, there it goes again, that echo. You heard it this time, didn't you, Mary? I didn't hear a thing. Neither did I. Neither did I. I didn't hear it either. <laughs> Still at bat, and here comes the pitch. It may be a hit. McCormick feels the ball and throws it to home where it's a close decision. He's out. No, he's safe. No, he's out. No, safe. He's out. He's safe. And here's the official decision. He's half safe. Half safe? Now Robinson is coming up to bat. Here's an interesting sidelight on Robinson. At the opening of the game, he was five feet, two inches tall. Now, in the fourth inning, he's six feet, three inches tall. What? Everybody here is wondering how Robinson grew so. Oh, <laughs> no. 
Jack. Jack, are you sure you got the right station? Certainly. Robinson is waiting for the pitch, and here it comes. It's a hit. It's a long, long fly. The ball is going out toward right field. It's still going. It's going, going, going. And now, ladies and gentlemen, while the ball is in the air, the Cleveland Indians will serenade the Braves. Send us here with a cheer. He say Boston Brave soon be losing his scalp. Feller, beard, and two. Robinson, Satchel, Page. They are in a rage. Boston's gonna need help. But Boston show today they can play ball. Just like Lucky Strike, they're the best and everyone likes them. They're so round and firm, fully packed. That's a fact. Indian chiefs who know agree. serenading the Boston Braves. Now, back to the game. The ball is still in the air! What a long play! <laughs> it's still going, going! There it goes over the right field fence and out of the Cleveland Stadium! It's still going! Gee, kids, that's about the longest. <laughs> Jack, your window! Say, that was a hit. <laughs> Robinson is being congratulated by his teammates as he crosses home plate. As you know, Robinson is an outstanding player and came up from the minor leagues where he used to play shortstop for Do-Wah-Diddy. Do-Wah-Diddy? Why, that ain't no town and it ain't no city. No, but it's awful small and awful pretty. Do-Wah-Diddy. Hey, what's going on here, anyway? Hey, boss, boss, isn't Satchel Page pitching a terrific game? Satchel Page, he isn't pitching. He is on my radio. <laughs> You know, kids, I can't figure out... Now, ladies what... and gentlemen, for those of you who may have tuned in late, this ball game in Cleveland is in the third inning. In New York, it's the fifth inning. And in Nevada and California, it's the second inning. What? Except in Washington and Oregon, where the broadcast was called off on account of rain. <laughs> what is this, anyway? Now, while we're waiting for the next batter, I'd like to mention a few celebrities who are here today. Right below me are Mr. and Mrs. Gary Cooper. To the left of them are Mr. and Mrs. William Powell. And below them are Mr. and Mrs. and Mrs. and Mrs. and Mrs. and Mrs. Artie Shaw. No wonder the king and queen couldn't get in. And now it's the last half of the ninth inning. Two out and Dobie is up to bat. The last half of the ninth already? He's crazy. Here comes the pitch. It's a hard-hit ball going out between second and third base. It's a hot grounder, and Dennis Day's uncle is under it. <laughs> Dennis Day's uncle? Dobie is out, and the game is over. But we'll not know who won until the final returns come in from New York, California, Washington, and Oregon. 
Oh, my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, the foregoing was a paid political broadcast and does not necessarily express an opinion. Mary, turn off that radio. Okay. Now, kids... And now, folks, I'd like to tell you how thrilled I've been... Wait a minute. Who turned on that radio again? I did. Oh, nuts. Come on, kids. Let's go in the kitchen and buy some sandwiches. Ladies and gentlemen, during the last war, the chief hope of our enemies was to divide the United States along racial and religious lines and thereby conquer us. Let's not spread prejudice. A divided America is a weak America, and we need the same harmony among our various racial and religious groups that was the source of our strength in war. Through our behavior, we encourage the respect of our children and make them better neighbors to all races and religions. Remind them that being good neighbors has helped make our country great and kept her free. Thank you. Jack, we'll be back in just a moment. But first... At 62... American... A recent impartial survey covering all the southern tobacco markets shows Lucky Strike. First again with tobacco men. Yes, more independent tobacco experts smoke Lucky Strike regularly than the next two leading brands combined. Excuse me, but who are these tobacco experts? They're the independent tobacco experts, auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen, men with years of experience buying, selling, and handling tobacco. And it's important for you to know that more of these independent tobacco experts smoke Lucky Strike regularly than the next two leading brands combined. That's what the survey shows. Now, listen to what Mr. Edwin Lee Moore, veteran independent tobacco buyer from Greenville, North Carolina, recently said. At auction after auction, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy fine, light, mellow leaf. Quality tobacco that just can't be beat for smoking enjoyment. I've smoked Luckies for 22 years. A Lucky Strike smoker for 22 years. And remember, Mr. Moore, like you, looks to the cigarette he smokes for enjoyment. Real deep-down smoking enjoyment. So light up a Lucky yourself, and puff by puff, you'll see. L-S-M-F-T. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, and fine tobacco gives you real deep-down smoking enjoyment from every Lucky you light. Yes, puff by puff, pack by pack, you'll like Lucky Strike. Ladies and gentlemen, due to unforeseen commitments, Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman couldn't be with us tonight, but they'll visit us in a couple of weeks. Be sure and stay tuned in for the Phil Harris Alice Faye show, which follows immediately. And on Saturday night, listen to A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. Daily old lady. <laughs> there it goes again. Oh, well, good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Jim Hegan will be the next batter. Robinson lined a solid single into right field. One of the most solid hits of the ball game and his fifth of the series in 19 trips. Jim Hegan has one hit. He singled to left in the second inning, then he went down swinging in the fourth inning. Boisel takes his stretch. He throws it. There's a ground ball, and that one goes to Elliott. Elliott throws to second, second to first, and it is dropped, and it is three to one. Stanky's throw to first base was poor. It was high, it struck the heel of Earl Targerson's glove, and he knocked it down as the Braves 
Blue, a perfect opportunity to retire the side with a double play. Tucker scored on Hegan's fielder's choice. No error is charged. Hegan. Hegan is given credit for driving in a run. He's on first base with two men out. The play was five to four. Elliott to Stanky, and Bob Lemon comes up. Boisel, with luck, could have been out of the inning. But the Braves have consistently been unable to match Cleveland's double plays. Here's the pitch. There goes a ground ball right to Torgerson. He steps on first to retire the side as Bob Lemon goes right after that first pitch. One, two runs for Cleveland in the inning. Two hits, no errors, a base on balls, and a runner left. And at the end of five and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland three, Boston one. When a ball player gets a hold of a bat that bangs out hits, he doesn't want to part with it. That's the way Eddie Pellegrini of the St. Louis Browns felt about his veteran Gillette Razor until... But here's Eddie to tell you the story. Hello, fans. I always thought my old Gillette Razor was tops until on the train one morning recently, I tried a friend's new Super Speed Razor. And you liked it? I sure did. In fact, I bought one for myself as soon as we got to Chicago. Are you still sold on it? Jim, I wouldn't part with it if I couldn't get another just like it. Fans, you'll say the same when you try the modern Gillette Super Speed Razor that changes blades instantly and makes shaving a cinch. Buy one with a 10-blade dispenser, a big $1.50 value for only a dollar. Cleveland came up with two runs in the first half of the sixth inning as Joe Gordon hit his fourth World Series home run, his first in this one, and the Braves missed a double play. So Cleveland now has three runs, six hits, no errors, six men left, and Lemon is within one run of facing an exactly similar situation to game number two, in which he was the winner by a four-to-one score. Bob Elliott is the batter. He had two home runs yesterday to tie the all-time National League World Series record, and he has two infield hits today. There's a drive to right center field, spin there perhaps for extra bases. But Doby goes over fast, cuts it down, and guns the throw into Gordon as Elliott goes back to first. A fine defensive play by Doby, who ranged from right field into right center to hold Elliott to his third straight single. Elliott on first base. There's warm-up activity again in the Cleveland bullpen as Marv Rickard comes up. And mindful of the fact that he hit a home run a little bit earlier in the series, the Boston Braves partisans are beginning to whoop it up a little. Rickard is a left-hander. Here's the pitch. There's a ground ball. It goes to Gordon. Gordon throws to Boudreaux. Boudreaux back to first. Double play. And Cleveland has come up with its eighth double play of the series. Five of them back of Bob Lemon, by the way. That Cleveland double play combination has been brilliant. Three double plays in support of Lemon today and two in the second game of the series. That one was Gordon to Boudreaux to Robinson. So there are two men out, and the batter is Bill Salkeld. Bill has drawn five bases on balls in the series. He has a home run. He's a left-handed batter, and the first pitch is a fastball that just fires its way over the plate. Feller, Gromek, and Kleiman are all out in the bullpen, available for relief duty in the event they're needed, and they have warmed up at various times. Feller usually warms up nearly every day. He believes in taking some regular pitching exercise so that is in no way a hint that he may see service in the event Lemon weakens. Lemon so far has shown not the slightest hint that he will do so. He delivers. There's a ground ball that goes to Gordon. 
Joe is up with it. He waits for Robinson to cover and throws Salkeld out. Four to three, second to first. Mr. Gordon was the star of that half inning. No runs, one hit, no errors, none left. So in six innings, the Braves have one run, six hits, and they have left five men on base. And Mr. Bob Elliott has had half of the six hits with three singles, and he scored the only run. The first scoring took place in the third inning when Mitchell led off with a double inside the left field line. After Dobie went out, he held second. But then Boudreau hit a fly ball down the right field line, and Holmes, after a hard run, dropped it for a two-base hit. The Braves tied the score in the fourth inning when, with one out, Elliott beat out a slow roller down the third baseline. Rickert flied to left, saw Keld walk, and McCormick single. And then Cleveland took a 3-1 lead in the sixth inning. Now we pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. You'll hear Queen for a Day immediately following today's World Series game over WOR, New York. This is Jim Britt back at Braves Field on the banks of the Charles River in Boston, where the sixth World Series game score stands Cleveland 3, Boston Braves 1. Cleveland was confident of wrapping it up yesterday, but the Braves erupted with a display of power that was unprecedented in this series. Dale Mitchell is the leadoff batter. He has a double in three trips. He's the Cleveland left fielder. Bill Voisel still on the mound for the Braves. And there goes a fly ball to right center field. Mike McCormick goes back, stands and waits for it. He takes it for the first out. A routine fly ball. That's the second time Mitchell has flied out to center field. But over in the Boston Braves bullpen, Spawn and Barrett are warming up. That obviously is because Boisel is slated to be the seventh Boston batter in the last half of the seventh inning. Larry Doby, the batter. Boisel, in four tries, has been able to retire him only once. He's hit twice and walked once. Ball one. One ball, no strikes. There goes a drive to center field, a hard line smash that drops safely, and it's a base hit. That's the third hit for Dobie off Boisel. And incidentally, it gives Larry a total of seven hits in the series, which, if my record is correct, is tops. Elliott has seven now, too. Elliott and Dobie are tied with seven hits. Lou Boudreau, the batter. He doubled in the first Cleveland run. He's a right-hander. There's a pitch out, but no throw was made to first as Dobie bluffed a steal. Dobie is very fast. The attendance is 40,103. That's capacity here at Braves Field. One ball, no strikes. The pitch, low inside. The count, two balls, no strikes. It looked for an instant as though Boudreau was either going to bunt or intended to bluff a bunt, even with one out. Boudreau was hit right on the small of the back by one of Boisel's pitches in the first inning. Then he doubled down the line in right field to drive in a run in the third, and he hoisted a fly to left in the fifth inning. So he has one out of two officially today, and six out of 21 in the series. Dobie is bluffing, and he is almost picked off. A fast throw over to first base, and he got back by one hand. He didn't slide. He just fell forward and grabbed the bag. The outfield is set to the left. Boisel is standing back of the rubber. Now he toes it, takes a stretch. As Dobie starts edging off, he draws another throw, but gets back easily this time under Mel Harder's instructions. And time is called for an instant as Dobie goes off the bag. And as he ties a shoelace on his right baseball shoe, 
Mel Harder kneels down and confers with him. Two balls, no strikes. One man out, Dobie on first. The seventh inning, Cleveland leading 3-1. Here's the pitch. There's a ground foul down the third baseline. That one missed being an extra base hit by a margin of about three feet. Cleveland scored one run in the third, and two of the fans that time were so eager to capture that souvenir ball out on the field that they fell right over the flag draped bunting and got it, of course. The count, two balls, one strike. The great Cleveland manager is having a good series for himself. Boudreaux bats from that crouch. Boisel stretches. There goes the runner, and a foul ball will bring him back. A high foul out of play to run the count to two and two. Toby turned around and started back and was halfway back to first base even before the ball dropped down in the first baseline. Two strikes, two balls the count. Today, possibly it's because today's crowd is just a little less than half of yesterday's. The excitement of the two dugouts even seems to be missing. There's not much chatter, except some occasional bench jockeying. Two and two the count. The pitch. There's a ground ball that goes to Elliott. Elliott throws to Stanky. That's one. Stanky to first. Double play. Elliott to Stanky to Torgerson. And the Braves have finally managed to complete an around-the-horn double play for their third twin kill of the series. And everybody is up now as the stretch half of the seventh occurs. At the end of six and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland three, Boston Braves one. Last inning, you heard Eddie Pellegrini of the St. Louis Browns say he thought his old Gillette was tops until he tried a friend's Gillette Super Speed Razor. Fans, it stands to reason that over the years, Gillette technicians have made many improvements in the convenience and shaving qualities of Gillette razors. Yes, and if you're not using the improved Gillette Super Speed Razor, you can't imagine what you're missing. This is the easiest shaving, most convenient razor ever. Among other features, it has a notch positioning bar for use with a Gillette dispenser. Just zip out a blade, hook it in place, twist the handle, and the razor closes. Beautifully designed, superbly made, this is a precision instrument. It can't jam, can't clog, and you don't have to be a locksmith to change blades instantly. Enjoy modern shaving satisfaction. Get a Gillette Super Speed Razor plus 10-blade Gillette dispenser. A big $1.50 value for a dollar. Cleveland collected no runs, one hit in that seventh inning, left no one on. The Indians have a total of three runs, seven hits so far in this game. And the leadoff batter to oppose Bob Lemon in the seventh will be Mike McCormick, who has one hit and two trips, six out of 21. And it was he who scored Bob Elliott with the Braves' only run in the fourth. The Braves trail one to three. Lemon pitches, and it's a strike called. It's getting very cloudy overhead, very dark and somewhat ominous looking, as though there will be, after all, a threat of rain. One strike to count. Lemon takes his windup, and McCormick looks at one outside. That was a curveball, the count one ball, one strike. Actually, although he has yielded an earned run in this game, Lemon has been just about as effective in this one as he was in the first when he allowed eight hits but scattered them. Bob takes his windup, pitches, swing and a miss. He broke off a curveball, let her high near the outside, and the count is one ball, two strikes. Billy Southworth is coaching at third base. Freddie Fitzsimmons is doing the coaching at first. Lefty Warren Spawn and Red Barrett are still the Braves warm-up pitchers. The windup, 
But before Lemon could start to pitch, McCormick stepped out. Bill Summers called time. Mike indicated that he had something in his eye. Lemon standing on the rubber. Get your sign. Here's the pitch. Outside. Curveball that missed the outside corner. Not by much. Two and two the count. Eddie Stanky is in the on-deck circle. And there will doubtless be a pinch hitter for Big Bill Voizel in this frame since he is scheduled to be the third batter. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Lemon fired a fastball. And that is his first strikeout of this game. He saved it for the stretch half of the seventh inning. Eddie Stanky hasn't had an opportunity to hit in this game. He has walked twice and has been left stranded both times. In the third inning, he got as far as third base on a bunt and a single. And then in the fourth inning, he got just as far as first. He's a right-hander. He swings and misses. That's about as hard as you'll see Stanky swing. He went after a curveball. One strike to count. One man out on the Braves' trail, one to three. This is another of the low-scoring games with defense, the outstanding factor. Lemon winds up, pitches, outside. He wastes that one, and the count is one and one. One ball, one strike. The outfield set to the left. Billy Southworth is hopeful of sending this into a seventh and final World Series game, but Boudreaux is supremely confident. Strike, called. A fastball for a call, strike two, and the count is one and two. Feller and Gromek are warming up for Cleveland as a precautionary measure. There's no one on. Lemon is in no trouble in this frame. He's yielded at least one hit in every inning, save the fifth. He pitches. There's a slow roller that goes to third base. Keltner comes up, is off balance, throws, and he gets it. Bill Stewart held up his decision, seemed to be weighing it for an instant, and then gave the outside. Stanky's speed has been reduced as a result of the injury. And that was accountable for the fact that he was unable to beat that out since it was bobbled briefly by Keltner. Buck McCormick is going to bat Attention, for Bill Voisel. Frank McCormick, number six, batting for Voisel. Frank McCormick, McCormick has a batting average of 250. He's had one hit in four trips. And that means that either Warren Spawn or Red Barrett is likely to come in and replace Bill Voisel in the eighth inning. Two men out as McCormick faces Lemon. Lemon, incidentally, has allowed only one hit over the last three full innings. He pitches and throws a sidearm pitch outside for ball one. One ball, no strikes. The Braves haven't been able to find the range on the fences in their own ballpark, but they did so yesterday at Cleveland. Joe Gordon, however, found the range for his fourth World Series home run today in the sixth inning. There's a ground ball to Keltner, right back of the bag. He looks it over, fires to first in time for the out. He seems to be reading the signature on it for an instant before unloading. So that's a one, two, three inning for Lemon. No runs, no hits, no errors, none left. And at the end of seven innings of play, the Boston Braves trail by a score of one to three. Warren Spawn goes over to get his jacket out of the bullpen, and it is he who is being called in for the second consecutive day in a relief roll. Yesterday, his pitching was superb. He allowed a double to Lou Boudreaux, but he struck out five of the last six men at Cleveland in one of the all-time 
great clutch exhibitions of World Series history. To refresh your memory, yesterday, when he came into the ball game, the bases were empty with one out in the fourth inning. He got by the first batter, Bob Feller, then walked a man, and then in his last five and one-third innings, he struck out seven, and in the eighth inning, he struck out Gordon, Keltner, and Boone in order. Then in the ninth inning, after Robinson had flied out, he fanned Hegan and Joe Tipton in succession. The score is Cleveland, three runs, seven hits, no errors. The Boston Braves, one run, six hits, and no errors. Spawn will have to oppose Gordon, Keltner, and Tucker. He didn't pitch to Tucker yesterday, by the way, but the first time he faced Gordon and Keltner, he struck them out. Yesterday, he wasn't throwing his curveball for much purpose other than that of wasting it. He was keeping the Indians constantly guessing by an assortment of slow and fast stuff. He was changing up. His fastball was extremely effective. And two or three of the Clevelanders afterwards said that his pitching had been tougher than any they'd seen in this series. Cleveland has had some great pitching performance performances, and there have been three shutouts, you recall. The authors were Sane, Bearden, and Gromek in that order. Joe Gordon has one hit in three trips today, his fourth World Series home run. He's a right-hander. Spawn gets set. Here's the pitch. And there goes a drive towards left field. Rickard goes over fast, takes it, falls down, rolls over, and holds it. A fine play. And it happened almost under the feet of the National League left field foul judge umpire, Babe Pinelli. And there, incidentally, is another reason why having those umpires stationed out of the line is an excellent idea, because Pinelli was only 10 feet away from Rickard when he described a somersault, and he was perfectly positioned to see that he had held the ball. Keltner, the batter. Keltner has no hits in three trips. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. He guessed. He seemed to guess on that. He held his swing until the last instant and then swung very quickly at a fastball. One strike. The outfield is deep to the left. Spawn delivers. Throws another fastball outside and the count is one and one. Red Barrett continues to warm up for the Boston Braves and Vernon Bickford is also loosening up. Spawn takes his wind up with one out and none on. There's a ground ball that bounces away from Spawn. Dark picks it up, throws to first, not in time, and it scored base hit. That's the second hit he's allowed in a relief roll. It bounded away from Spawn, was picked up on the dead run by Al Dark, and Keltner has just collected his second hit of the series. He now has a total of two hits and 21 trips, but there were 19 unsuccessful at bats in between. He had one of the series' most dismal slumps. Thurman Tucker, the center fielder up. He fouled to third base, grounded to second, walked and scored the third run. There goes the drive to right field. It's in there. Tommy Holmes fields it on the dead run and holds the runners to first and second. He stepped right into that very first pitch that was fired to him by Warren Spahn, and now Eddie Robinson comes up with runners on first and second. Spahn is not the puzzle to the Indians this afternoon that he was yesterday. Yesterday, Lou Boudreaux was the only hitter, getting a double in the eighth inning, and then the next three men were struck out. But now, with one out, and it took a fine catch by Rickard to retire Gordon, 
Robinson is up with two men on. He has one out of three. Eddie is a left-hander. Strike called. That was a slow curveball that came over. Keltner on second base. Tucker on first base. And the Indians are in scoring position again. They now have nine hits. One hit more than they had behind Lemon in his first victory. Spawn takes a stretch. Looks at second. Pitches. Threw a curveball that missed the outside corner, and the count is one and one. One ball, one strike. Bill McKechnie holds up one finger to be certain that the runners realize the situation is one out. Tucker has a man-sized lead at first. Kelter takes a longer one. Here it comes. There's a drive that goes into right field for a base hit. And here comes Keltner sprinting for the plate with a fourth Indian run. Runners are on first and third as three consecutive hits rattle off Juan Spawn's delivery and Cleveland takes a lead of four to one. That was Robinson's sixth hit of the series. Keltner scored. Tucker went all the way to third base. And we're looking down below to see whether or not Billy Southworth intends to make an appearance. Jim Hegan is getting ready to bat, and Spawn apparently is going to stay in. Cleveland leads 4-1. to one. That was the score by which Lemon won the second game. Spawn takes a stretch. Here it comes. Outside, fastball. Tucker on third base, Robinson on first base. And Robinson's line drive was well over Torgerson's head down the right field line with Holmes running fast to cover. One ball, no strikes. There's a throw to first base. Robinson is back in time under Mel Harder's shout of look out. This is the gloomiest day we've had. It has turned into it weather-wise. Another throw to first base, but Robinson is back easily. Cleveland now has four runs, ten hits. And the Indians are still in a rallying position. The outfield is deep to the left. The pitch, swing and a miss. That was a fast ball, and the count is one and one. The Indians broke a one-run tie, which lasted through the first five innings of play. Time called for an instant. Lou Boudreau hollered from the dugout as Hegan got ready to step out. And then Bill Summers insisted that the pitcher wait. The infield is in. The stretch, the pitch, swing and a miss. That was a fastball, letter high to the outside, and the count is one ball, two strikes. The situation in the sixth game of the World Series is inning number eight. Thanks to that fine catch by Rickert, who held the ball off Gordon's bat after somersaulting, Spawn has been touched up so far for only one run. This could have been a very sizable inning, and still may be. Hegan stepped out of the box, rubbed some dirt into his hands, is back in again. He's a tall, well-built, good-looking catcher with a great future. Spawn is ready. Swing and a miss for strike three. A fastball. That's the third Cleveland strikeout of the game. Bob Lemon is coming out of the dugout to bat. He has been a great competitor in this series. In 16 innings, the Braves have reached him for only two runs, one of them unearned. And in 16 innings, if you're further interested, he has scattered 14 hits. And that is mightily effective pitching on any occasion. 
Warren Spahn takes a stretch. Robinson has a long lead, and he dares him to pick him off. The throw is to the plate, and they have Tucker trapped off. Here's the throw, and he's out. He tried to knock the ball out of Salkel's hands with a rush, and I'm afraid that Tucker's glasses were broken. He smashed into Salkel. The play, incidentally, went from Spahn to Torgerson to Salkel to Elliott to Salkeld, who tagged Tucker, and I fear Tucker's glasses were broken on the play. So at the end of seven and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland four, Boston Braves one. Men, think of getting a world-famous Gillette Tech razor with five Gillette blue blades for only 49 cents. Believe me, that's a lot for the money. With the Gillette Tech, you get shaves that are smooth, clean, and refreshing. That's why more men shave with this razor than with all other makes combined. The Gillette Tech has a solid bar guard that sets up whiskers as a barber does. Its non-skid tread protects you from nicks and cuts. The blade is held rigidly, eliminating edge vibration. The Tech is non-clogging, rinses instantly. Yes, fans, the Gillette Tech is a terrific shaving bargain. So to enjoy real shaving comfort and save money, buy a Gillette Tech razor with five Gillette blue blades at the amazingly low price of 49 cents. The Cleveland Indian Bat Boy has gone to the clubhouse to return with a new pair of eyeglasses for Thurman Tucker. What happened on the play was this. Eddie Robinson, who was on first base, presumably dared Spawn to pick him off. The Indian strategy was designed to make Spawn throw to first base to give Tucker a chance to score at the plate if anything went awry. But Earl Torgerson very quickly threw the ball home. They may be asking the Boston Braves whether or not they will permit a courtesy player to go into center field until Tucker gets his eyeglasses. What happened is Bill, Bill Summers has explained to Billy Southworth that he wants the game to be held up until Tucker's glasses arrive and the bat boy has just come out with him to save the day. Tucker appeared to be cut very slightly. The crowd is giving him the treatment because of the way he ran into the catcher, but that's baseball. The idea was for him to try to score on the play. The play, by the way, was Spawn, the pitcher, to Torgerson, the first baseman, to the catcher, Bill Salkeld, to Elliott, the third baseman, back to Salkeld, who got the put out, and Robinson, who had gotten to second base, was not credited with a steal. Cleveland leads by a score of 4-1. to one. And Tommy Holmes is the batter in the last half of the eighth inning. Lemon pitches, and there's a drive that goes to center field for a base hit. Holmes leads off with his second hit of the ballgame. That is hit number seven for the Boston Braves. And it's Holmes' fifth hit of the series. It brings up Alvin Dark. He beat out a his first time at bat. Was doubled up as Torgerson flied to Tucker, who made a sensational catch and throw to first. Then he hit into a double play and grounded back to the mound. Dark is a right-hander. Here it comes. Strike called. Feller and Gromacher warming up in the Cleveland bullpen. Cleveland has a 4-1 to lead in the last half of the eighth inning as the Braves try to stage a desperation rally 
in an effort to push the series into a seventh and deciding game. Otherwise, this is the clinching victory as far as Cleveland is concerned. The outfield is set to the left. The infield in a little. Outside, that was a slider. And the count is one and one. Dark started to go after it, held away from it. Lemon throws a slider sparingly. A sinker ball is his stock and trade. And he has an excellent one. Ray Scarborough was telling me about it a while back. Here's the pitch. Strike, call. That caught the outside corner. Dark let it come. And the count is one ball, two strikes. Dark has had three hits in 23 appearances in the series. Ken Keltner is standing just inside the third base line, guarding it very closely. Tommy Holmes is being held right close at first base by Eddie Robinson. Here's the pitch. There's a drive that goes to right field. Doby comes in fast. He takes it, and Holmes has to go back. Dark was trying to hit the ball into right field, but it stayed up in the air long enough for Doby to make the play. Gene Bearden has joined Feller and Gromek in a warm-up capacity. So there's one out in the Braves' eighth inning. And Earl Torgerson comes up. The Braves need three runs to push this game into a tie status. Torgerson, who was the top batter of the series for the Braves, has no hits in three trips today. Lemon has slowed him down. He's a left-handed batter. And he hits a drive down the right field line. That is in there for extra bases. There goes Holmes to third base. Torgerson going to second base, sliding in safely. Torgerson, with a double to right, has moved Holmes to third. Lemon is going to stay in. Boudreaux has already given him a reassuring pat on the back. Torgerson just collected his third double, his seventh hit, to tie Bob Elliott and Larry Doby. And with Bob Elliott up, Bob has three consecutive singles. Two of them infield hits. He has scored the Boston run. The catch that Doby made at the expense of Dark now looms as mightily important because with Dark trying to hit the ball into right field on the hit and run, Doby came in fast and spirited and turned Holmes back. There's one out, two on. That was right up close to the ears for ball one, a high fast one. One ball, no strikes. Cleveland has four runs, ten hits. The Braves have one run, eight hits. That's the total to which they were held by Lemon in his second winning game of 4-1. to one. He stands on the rubber. He's taking plenty of time. He's very deliberate. He winds up. He pitches and throws a sidearm pitch inside. That was a fastball, 2 and nothing. Elliott is up there hopeful that the same kind of a pitching mistake that Bob Feller twice made against him yesterday will be repeated. And Lemon is bearing down all the harder determined not to do so. Two balls, no strikes. Here it comes. High, ball three. Three and all. Oh. And Feller, Gromek, and Bearden just got a sign via the relay system to the bullpen to bear down a little more vigorously. As Lou Boudreau turned and looked out to the left of the flagpole where the Cleveland bullpen is hidden. Three and nothing to count. Here's the windup. Strike calls. Elliott was almost down on one knee that time, attempting to distract the pitcher, Bob Lemon, so that he would throw him ball four. It's a three-and-one situation. With Holmes on third base, 
Torgerson on second base. Lemon standing on the mound. Elliott uses a very close stance, and they play him to pull the ball well to left. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. Fast ball that came blazing like a streak right over the plate. And Elliott took a savage cut at it to run the string to three and two. Three balls, two strikes to count. Elliott waiting for the pitch, and the crowd now is hanging on the edges of its seats. Here it comes. Ball four to fill the bases. That was inside. That's the fourth base on balls off Lemon. And with the bases loaded and one out for the Braves, manager Lou Boudreaux calls a halt. He raised his hand on high, comes in in a way that would indicate there's going to be a new pitcher. He takes the ball from Lemon. Bill Summers makes a sign to the bullpen, and the right field foul line umpire, Joe Paparella, goes over to be certain that the new pitcher comes in promptly. So Lemon is driven out after seven and a third innings of his second World Series game, and Gene Bearden, who authored a five-hit, two-to-nothing shutout against the Boston Braves, is going to come in, so there is a possibility that Rickert, a left-hander, will be replaced. There's the announcement. Gene Bearden, who is the great, courageous left-hander, he survived a torpedoed American naval ship in Kula Gulf. He still carries some of the steel that was necessary to reinforce a fractured knee and an injured skull. He's a tremendously likable left-hander. And you'll recall that he pitched a five-hit shutout against the Boston Braves on the 8th of October. And in that game, one Brave reached third and only two other Braves got as far as second base. Clint Knatzer, a Texan and a Braves outfielder, has a bat in his hand down in the Boston Braves dugout. Billy Southworth has moved in, and he just nodded his head to him, and Knatzer is going to come up and bat in place of left-handed Marv Rickert. The bases are loaded with one out for the Boston Braves in the eighth inning, and Cleveland leads four to one. The condition of the playing field here at Braves Field, notwithstanding the fact that there have been some football games played on it, was put into excellent World Series condition by Al Oliver and his capable crew of groundskeepers. Clint Knatzer, they've just made the announcement, and for the benefit of those who didn't already recognize him, the information, together with his numeral, came over the public address system. There's one man out, and Cleveland has a four-to-one lead. Here's the windup. Bearden gets set. There goes the drive to center field. Going back for it is Tucker. He takes it. And here comes Holmes sprinting in with a run. There goes Torgerson on his way to third base. That was a wicked smash that went straight away to center field. And Holmes came in after the catch. Macy is going to come up in place of Salkel. And Lou Boudreau comes in to say something to Jim Hegan, the catcher. The score is 4-2. to two. There are runners on first and third. 
Torgerson moving up on that wicked smash, and it was well tagged. It was a low line drive, and Tucker was able to get back under it. It was hit straight away to center field. Macy has scored a run, but he has no hits in seven trips in this series. Billy Southworth is pulling all the strings he knows how. This is Bearden's second appearance of the series. Two men are out. Cleveland leads by a score of 4-2. Macy stands very close to the plate. He's up in front of it, as a matter of fact. Inside, ball one. And waiting, hopefully, in the on-deck area is Mike McCormick, who drove in the first Boston run of the game. Cleveland broke a tie with two runs in the sixth inning. One of them was Joe Gordon's home run, his first of the series, his fourth in World Series competition. The Indians added another run in the top half of the eighth inning. There's the stretch. Bearden gets set. He pitches. There goes a drive down the left field line, and the ball is off the wall. It is four to three, and it is a double. Runners on second and third. Phil Macy made a bid for a home run and hit a long double over left fielder Dale Mitchell's head off the left field wall. Bearden will stay in. There are runners on second and third. Elliott was held up because Mitchell played the ball superbly and had Elliott attempted to score, he would have been out at the plate. But the Braves are within one run of a tie. Two men are out and Mike McCormick comes up. McCormick has an opportunity to break the ball game wide open. And a new left fielder is going to go into the ball game. Kennedy will go to left. Kennedy has a strong throwing arm, a very strong throwing arm, and that obviously is accountable for the maneuver. Bob Kennedy has been used in the series before. Matter of fact, he drove in a run but he has been sent previously to right field. Now Kennedy is in left field, Tucker in center, and Doby in right, with Mike McCormick up. McCormick has six hits and 22 trips. He's a right-handed batter opposing left-handed Gene Bearden with Macy and Elliott on second and third. Strike called. The first pitch was a fastball that caught the outside corner. This is the eighth inning, and the Braves have fought their way back to within one run of a tie. Here it comes. There's a ground ball, back to Bearden. He waits for Robinson to cover, fires to first to retire the rally. Right back to the mound as McCormick tried to hit one through the middle. Two runs, three hits. No errors, one walk. Two runners were left on base. And at the end of eight innings of play, Cleveland has four runs, ten hits, no errors. The Braves have three runs, nine hits and no errors. Now we pause ten seconds for station identification. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is WOR, New York, the mutual station that brings you the World Series and other top sports events the year round. Gene Bearden is scheduled to be the first batter in the ninth inning, and then he'll be followed by Bob Kennedy and Larry Attention, Dolby. Please, for the Braves, Mike McCormick, number 31. Mike McCormick has moved over to left field for the Boston Braves if you're scoring the game, and Knatzer has gone into center field 
but he is in the batting order in place of Marv Rickard. And Phil Macy, of course, who came through with a pinch double. His first hit of the series, by the way, is doing the catching. So the Braves have a revised batting order and a lineup as well. Knatzer is in center field, and Mike McCormick, who was in center field, has moved over to left. Phil Macy is the new catcher, and the first batter scheduled to come up for Cleveland is Gene Bearden. You'll recall Bob Lemon was at bat in the eighth inning when the Indians, with Robinson breaking from first, risking a pickoff, tried to set up a double steal, and Thurman Tucker was out trying to score. Mr. Bearden has a single and a double in this series and a very handsome batting average of 667. Cleveland has a lead of four to three. Warren Spawn still on the mound for the Boston Braves in his second relief roll. Here's the pitch. Ball one. One ball, no strikes. Here it comes. Foul tip. Bearden went down on his left knee after swinging and tipping it right back against the screen, and the count is one ball, one strike. This has been one of the most exciting ball games of the entire series. The outfield is just a little to the right of straightaway. Here it comes. A fastball high, and the count is two balls, one strike. A sign has just gone out to right field, and Vern Bickford and Red Barrett start warming up again for the Boston Braves. Spawn winds up. He pitches. Ball three. Low outside. Three and one. And Macy steps across the plate and fires one back. Macy's double, by the way, was just about halfway up on the left field wall. Here's the windup. Swing and a miss. Bearden was hopeful that that pitch would be to his liking. And when it came in just above the knees, he swung, and the count now is three and two. He's knocking the dirt, some of the clay out of his spikes. Bill McKechnie is coaching at third. The first base coach is still Mel Harder. Spawn takes that big windup. He strides, delivers. Strike three, swinging. That's his second consecutive strikeout, by the way, and his ninth for the past two days. He struck out Hegan in the eighth inning. One man out, and Bob Kennedy is the batter. Kennedy made an appearance, an appearance earlier in the series in a batter's role, and he singled and drove in a run. He's a right-handed batter. Strike called. That was a fairly slow pitch. One strike to count. Here it comes. Fastball, low inside, and the count is one and one. Kennedy has one hit in one time at bat and one run driven in in this series. It was a single. Spawn takes a big windup. Swing and a miss. There was a jug handle curveball, one of his specialties. He didn't throw it much yesterday. The count now is one ball, two strikes. The fourth Cleveland run was scored against Spawn, by the way. Kennedy sets himself close to the plate. Swing and a miss, strike three. For the second time in as many days, Spawn has struck out three consecutive Indians. That's 10 strikeouts for the Buffalo New York Southpaw in 24 hours. He finished up yesterday and 
richly deserve credit for the win. Larry Doby is the batter. Larry is one of the three top batters of the series with seven hits. He has two out of three today. He's a left-hander. Strike called. That was a slow pitch that caught the outside, and Doby didn't want to go after it. There are two men out. First half of the ninth, Cleveland leading four to three in an exciting sixth game. That was high and inside, and the count is one and one. If you're interested in stealing a look at the last of the ninth, Stanky is slated to lead off, and then probably a pinch hitter for Warren Spawn. Here it comes. Swing and a miss, and Doby fell down. That was a curveball right down in the dirt. It bounced in the dirt, and Doby fell into the ball after he'd completed his swing and missed it. And the ball very nearly bounced up and struck him. One ball, two strikes the count. Here it comes. Foul ball. Very nearly another strikeout. As a matter of fact, if it hadn't been for yesterday, when Robinson hit a fly ball to left field, Spawn might have his name etched in the record books. Because he struck out three, then he missed Robinson and struck out two more. Here's the windup. Strike three! Four straight strikeouts. In an amazing demonstration of pitching magic, Warren Spahn regained his touch and struck out Hegan in the eighth, Bearden, Kennedy, and Dolby in the ninth to run to 13 his strikeouts of the past two days. Going into the last half of the ninth inning, Cleveland leads 4-3. to three. Right now, with winter coming on, is a good time to start a life-saving flow of food and clothing to some destitute European family through care packages. CARE is a nonprofit organization approved by your government that guarantees delivery of your gift package to a specific individual in Europe. For $10, you can present 21 and a half pounds of nutritious food to any person or family in 15 European countries. Just send $10 to CARE, C-A-R-E, New York, with your name and address and the name and address of the recipient. You will receive a signed receipt upon delivery. Cleveland leads by a 4-3 score, and Eddie Stanky will be the Braves' leadoff batter in the last of the ninth. He's a right-hander. He's walked twice. Bearden's first pitch is low inside, ball one. The record, incidentally, for the most home runs in a single game in the World Series is Babe Ruth. That's an answer to a query. Three. Bob Elliott tied the all-time National League mark with two yesterday. Bearden delivers. Ball two. That was letter high outside, and it's two and nothing. Bearden has faced three batters, and two of them have hit the ball extremely well. Financiers fly and Macy's double. Here it comes. Strike called. There was to be no denying young Mr. Bearden that time. He fired one right down the middle, and it's two and one. Bob Feller and Steve Dromack are warming up for Cleveland. The Indians are trying to nurse a one-run lead in the ninth inning. There goes a high foul fly ball down the left field line. Kennedy running hard, but he can't get it. It fell out of his reach by about 20 feet out in what normally would be the Boston Braves bullpen. Two balls, two strikes. Both Keltner and Boudreaux tried, but Kennedy was the only one who had any chance whatever. The outfield with Stanky up is playing well to the left. 
And his immediate problem, of course, is to get on base. He wasn't up there to wait Mr. Bearden out. As soon as that first good pitch came over with a count two and one, he went after it. And now Bearden has him in a two and two hole. Bearden winds up. Three and two. That was a curveball that hung high to the outside. Incidentally, it is fairly dark here at Fenway Park. Very cloudy and ominous overhead. But it has been a very happy circumstance that this game went at all. Here it comes. There's a drive foul to left. A wicked line drive that bounces off the facade of the left field boxes. And it's recovered out there by the foul line umpire. Mr. Bearden has at least this edge against the batters in this inning. The darkness, I mean. Because visibility handicaps the batter somewhat on such a day as this when the afternoon wears on. Here's the big one. Ball four. Stanky gets his third walk of the game and his seventh base on ball for the series. There may be a pinch runner. Connie Ryan is going to run for Stanky. And Sibby Sisty will bat for Spawn. Connie Ryan of New Orleans, Louisiana, is running for Stanky. And Sibby Sisty of Buffalo, New York, a fellow townsman of Warren Spawn, will bat for him. This is Sisty's first appearance at the plate in the series. But he filled in handsomely for Stanky during the period of Eddie's injury. No one out. Ryan on first base. Bearden takes his stretch. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. He tried to bunt it. Cleveland naturally expects the sacrifice, and both Robinson and third baseman Ken Keltner were quick to come in with the intention of covering the plate. One strike to count. There is no one out. But Billy Southworth is prepared to risk the percentage opportunity of a bunt and sacrifice Sisty. Ken Keltner is in on the grass down the third baseline. Here it comes. There's the bunt. It's a foul ball. And Hegan throws to first for the double play. Hegan took it. Right out in front of the plate, it was ruled a fair ball. And then he fired it to first base for the ninth double play for Cleveland in the series. Bearden threw him a knuckleball, perhaps. It's difficult to determine from here. But the double play was two to three. And all he had to do was wait for Robinson to cover first because Ryan was going on it. Two men out, and Tommy Holmes the batter. And some of the fans are already beginning to leave. Convinced, the destiny has been shaped. Strike called. One strike to count. From a situation with a runner on first base, no one out. An optimistic situation, trailing as they do by one run, three to four. The Braves now have two men out, no one on. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. And that one is coming up here. The count, two strikes. Incidentally, Cleveland in this game has had four double plays. So they've had six of their nine double plays in support of Bob Lemon and Bearden. There goes a fly ball towards left field. Going back fast is Kennedy. Kennedy gets there. And he takes it. 
and the Cleveland Indians are the world's champions of 1948, and they are leaping joyously as they go off the field. Bearden is being mobbed, as are Lou Boudreau, and out in center field, Tucker and Kennedy come running in arm in arm. The final score, Cleveland four runs, ten hits, no errors. The Braves, three runs, nine hits, no errors. The winning pitcher, Bob Lemon. The losing pitcher, Big Bill Voisel. And camera flash bulbs are exploding all over the premises as the Braves, Billy Southworth, congratulates Lou Boudreau, and the Indians have tucked away the bunting in baseball's greatest classics. And now here to review the game and feature some of its highlights is Mel Allen. The 1948 World Series is over, ladies and gentlemen. On a dark and gloomy day in Boston, the 1948 World Series comes to an end with the sun figuratively shining, as a matter of fact, even blazing insofar as the Cleveland Indians are concerned. For here in the wigwam of the Boston Braves on the banks of the Charles River, the Cleveland Indians have been crowned champions of the baseball world. The second such honor in 28 years. And down below us on the field is a shirtless, I mean a coatless, but wearing just a thin silk shirt, half-sleeved Bill Veck hobbling over from his uh, box behind the Cleveland dugout in uh, to the runway to move into the Indians clubhouse to help them celebrate their victory. Along with him is the vice president of the Cleveland Indians ball club, Hank Greenberg. You got to take your hat off to guys like Bob Elliott, who uh, sparked his team in a tremendous comeback yesterday to prolong the series. And you've got to take your hat off to a fellow like Lou Boudreau, one of the greatest shortstops you've ever seen in your life. I doubt you'll ever see one any better at any time in the future. Well, we could pick out men here and there. They're all great. They're all wonderful. It was a delightful World Series, although it did get off to a slow start because of the great pitching. And so it comes to an end with the Cleveland Indians, the world champions, ladies and gentlemen. We must uh, add this one other thing to Cleveland's nine double plays in the series with uh, so many of them today coming through to help them win the world's championship. That's all there is, ladies and gentlemen, as uh, we sign off from uh, Braves Field. We got to mention, uh, as our mind wanders, we look out onto the empty field now, you think of such fellows as Larry Doby, who got so many base hits. Larry Doby and Bob Elliott and Earl Torgerson, all of whom got seven hits to lead in uh, total hits but you could go around, pick out each individual, and show his relative value to the overall picture of presenting for American baseball fandom another exciting World Series. We hope that you've enjoyed it, and so, fans, that's that. The story of another World Series goes into the record, but Gillette's cavalcade of sports carries on. Every Friday night, we're on the air coast to coast with a major boxing event of the week. Plan to be at Radio Ringside Friday nights and enjoy the fun. Now, this is Mel Allen saying smooth sailing, smooth shaving, and good afternoon from your host, the Gillette Safety Razor Company, and Jim Britt. Recorded highlights of today's World Series game will be heard over WOR at half past 11 tonight. Stay tuned now for Queen for a Day, which follows. We wish to thank the La Rosa Macaroni Company, sponsors of the Hollywood Theater of Stars, for relinquishing their broadcast time today in favor of the World Series game. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Good health to all from Rexall.
It's Sunday. Time for the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and your Rexall Family Druggist. Good evening. This is your Rexall Family Druggist, taking a little time from behind the prescription counter this Sunday evening to speak for all 10,000 of us. The 10,000 druggists who have added the word Rexall to our own store names. You can always tell us by the orange and blue Rexall sign in our windows. The sign means that we carry the 2,000 or more drug products made by the Rexall Drug Company. They range all the way from aspirin to penicillin, and they're as fine and pure and dependable as science can make them. We recommend them to our customers because we know you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall. And now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Fay Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Titley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Ann Whitfield, Walter Scharf and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Fay and Phil Harris. Today, as we look in on the Harrises, Phil and Alice have just arrived at NBC for rehearsal of their radio program. Hey, we better hurry, Alice. We'll be late for rehearsal. I don't want to set a bad example for the guys in the band. You know, since we've got a new sponsor, those guys have changed. They've become gentlemen. I haven't noticed any change in them. Well, I have, and I work with them. I laid the law down to them last week. I said, from now on, we ain't going to have any more horse playing or poker games at rehearsal. Good for you, Phil. Well, we'd better get in or the boys will start playing without you. They can't start without me. Why not? I got the dice. <laughs> oh, Phil, the Rexall people aren't going to like that. You're in enough trouble with the company already. What trouble? Last week at their store, you insulted a customer and smashed every bottle on the perfume counter. Gosh, Phil, aren't you ever going to grow up? Why do you always get into trouble? I don't know. I guess it's just the Peter Pan in me. <laughs> Make things worse, when you cut your hand, you let Frankie sign your contract with the Rexall Drug Company. Well, how was I to know he'd sign his own name instead of mine? You know, Phil, with that contract, Frankie is now legally the star of the program. Oh, nonsense. <laughs> Frankie's probably forgotten about that contract already. You seem to forget that Frankie's my pal. He wouldn't try to take over. Don't worry about it. You'll see just as soon as we get into the studio. All right, quiet, you guys. Quiet! I've told you the whole story. That's why the sponsor insisted that I be the star of this show. <laughs> hey, you mean you're in charge now, Remley? <laughs> Irrevocably. <laughs> From this moment forward, I am your leader. You are to accept my orders with unquestioning obedience. I am an absolute power. I'm <laughs> Remley. Now, 
From now on, there'll be no more clowning. I want more respect than you showed to your former leader. How's the trouble with him? He was nothing Don't but... you say nothing about our former leader. He was a great guy. Yes, sir. He was our leader for 10 years and did a great job. We'll never forget him. No matter where he goes, we'll always have a soft spot in our hearts for good old... Hey, Artie, what was his name again? <laughs> his name was Isham Chung. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good old Ice. It's Phil Harris. Don't feel sorry for him. He's still with us. I'm going to let him play the cymbals. <laughs> Just because I'm the star of the show don't mean I'd throw him out. He's my pal. <laughs> what do you think I am, a heel? Heel, Henry, heel! That's enough, Adam! <laughs> now, uh, in line with the dignity of our new sponsor, you'll notice I made a few changes in the orchestra. I've added three new violins and a lady. Harpist. <laughs> And another thing, from now on, I'm going to do the singing. So let's go over my number. I'm singing, that's what I like about the South, but I'm changing the lyrics. Why change Because they're corny. Won't you come with me to Alabama, come and see my dear old mammy? She's boiling eggs and frying hammy, and that's what I like about the South? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Changing the lyrics to fit my personality and birthplace. Yeah. From now on, it goes like this. Won't you come with me to North Dakota? Come and see my dear old Moda. She's mixing me a scotch and soda. And that's what I like about the North. Yeah. All right, now we'll try it that hold way. Hold it, hold it. All right, hold it. Okay, Remley, you can step down now. The maestro's here. I knew I should show up. <laughs> hey, Remley. <laughs> hey, huh? that was a funny gag. You're signing your name to my contract last week. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> you, the star of the program. <laughs> oh, you're a clip kid. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't I? <laughs> yeah. All right, sit down and play the cymbals. I got a band to rehearse. Cymbals? <laughs> Remley, listen to Please, me. Please, you're running me into overtime. <laughs> All right, fellas, one chorus of our new theme. That's what I like about North Dakota. Hey, wait a minute, oh, Remley. You're not singing. That's what you like about what? <laughs> North Dakota. That's the last straw. Now get off of this stand. But Remley. my contract. Get said... down. Get off of here. Now look, I don't know what Remley told you guys, but I'm still the boss. I'm your leader. Highlighting. Highlighting. Why? <laughs> I don't want any more of that. Why does he keep calling me Isham? <laughs> All right, fellas, look. Now we're doing. That's what I like about the South. And we're doing it my way. Hit it. Won't you come with me to Alabama? Let's go. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. <laughs> Who smuggled Shep Fields into this? <laughs> Uh, 
That's the girl harpist I hired. <laughs> harpist? Lady, will you... Lady! <laughs> Please, lady, will you take that screen door and get out of here? <laughs> I, I just don't know what's the matter. <laughs> I can't understand you. At times you remind me of little Willie. You mean Alice's brother? No, Willie Green. Now, Willie Green was from New Orleans and just as mean and selfish as he could be, just like you. He always wanted part of what somebody else had, but he didn't want to give nothing to you. And then one day, his mother baked him a jelly roll. Yeah. That's the best cake that was ever made. And then when Willie's little friends all gathered around and asked him for a piece, just like you, here's what little Willie said. I ain't going to give nobody none of my jelly roll. I wouldn't give you a piece of cake to save your soul. My ma told me today, just before she went away, be a good little boy, I'll bring you a toy. I'm my mama's pride and joy, and ain't no need for you to keep on hanging round. I love you, and I hate to turn you down. Now you kids are awful sweet, but my jelly roll just can't be beat. I know you want it, you craving for it, but I ain't going to give you none. I ain't gonna give nobody none of this jelly roll I wouldn't give you a piece of cake to save your soul Cause my mom told me today, just before she went away Be a cute little boy, I'll bring you a toy I'm my mama's little Roy, there ain't no need for you to keep on hanging round I love you and I hate to turn you down now you kids are awful sweet, but my jelly roll just can't be beat. I know you want it, you craving for it, but I ain't gonna give you none. Oh, that was great, Phil. Shall I rehearse my song now? Oh, uh, don't bother, Alice. We won't have time for either one of you to sing. <laughs> what do you mean? As star of the show, I've decided to do a long guitar solo. <laughs> my lawyer says as long as I have that contract, it gives me the... Now, right. that does it. Give me back that contract, Remley, or I'll shake it up. Unhand me, you uncouth cymbal banger. <laughs> Stop searching me. You don't think I'm fool enough to carry the contract with me? I got it hidden safely away at home. Let me tell you something, Remley. You're not going to get away with this because... Oh, come on, Alice. Let's get out of here. That character, I'll break every bone in his body. Now, Phil. Phil, don't lose your temper. You won't get the contract back by antagonizing Frankie. You've got to use your head about this. No. I guess you're right. But to think my... My best friend would double-cross me. That's what hurts. Isn't there anybody I can trust? Isn't there somebody that I can admire and respect? Good morning, Philip. <laughs> Willie, please, not now, Willie, not now. You better leave him alone, William. He's not in a very good mood. He has a problem that's getting him down. 
Why, Philip, I'm surprised at you letting problem get you down. I find problem stimulating. I believe in standing up to a weighty problem and defeating it. Or as a Chinese philosopher once said, he who wrestled with problem get toehold on adversity. Thank you, Anna May Wong. <laughs> Philip, uh, if you tell me your problem, I'm sure I can help you. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get out, will you, Willie? Maybe you can help, Willie. You see, Phil let Frankie sign his Rexall contract for him. And now Frankie has taken advantage of it and is taking over the show. And, well, well, Phil won't be on the air anymore. I see. But what's the problem? <laughs> Your information wise guy, he's getting Alice off of the show, too. Now, if you'll excuse me, I gotta go and figure this out. Getting my sister off the show? Wait for me, Philip. Alice, I brought the children down. I thought we all might have lunch together. Oh, I'll take them to lunch. You go with Phil. Wait, Philip. I'm coming with you. Poor Phil. This thing really has him down. I wish there was some way I could get that contract back from Frankie. Hello, Mommy. Hi, Mommy. Where'd Daddy go? Oh, he had business to attend to, children. He's got a problem that's bothering him. Can we help, Mommy? Oh, thanks, honey, but there's nothing you can do. You're just children, and... Children, say, maybe that's the way to do it. If I can appeal to Frankie's human side... Look, girls, here's what I want you to do. When Uncle Frankie comes out of NBC, we'll be standing here looking very sad. Well, so long, fellas. Be on time for the show Sunday. Okay, Frankie. Say a Sunday, maestro. Yep. <laughs> ah, fine bunch of men I have working for me. Dum, dum, da, dum. Oh, I'm the star of Rexall. <laughs> and that's where I belong. <laughs> yes, sir, the... <laughs> there are bloodhounds following me. <laughs> oh, hello, Alice. Hello. Hi, kids. <laughs> what are you crying about? Alice, did you beat those poor kids? Frankie. Hmm? You ought to know why they're crying. It's what you did to their father. Yes, you beast. You scoundrel. You took our daddy's job. Well, I didn't really. I only... Uh, gee, look, kids. With his talent, your daddy can get another job. What? Where? <laughs> well, he can go... He could work... <laughs> They'd be glad to have him at... You got me. <laughs> Wait a minute. He's still working for Jack Benny. You know, there ain't no money connected to that job. <laughs> Besides, it's too late for anything. He's left us. Left you? Naturally. He's a man. What else could he do? 
no job, no future. He didn't want to burden us. He said he didn't want to live on my money. What made him change his mind all this? This is no laughing matter, Frankie. Do you realize that, that because of your having that contract, Phil has left us for good? And now, now I don't have a husband. And the children don't have a father. Cut it out, Alice. Oh, Frankie. Frankie, you're the only one who can make us a happy family again. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's up to me to do the right thing. Alice? Yes, Frankie? <laughs> How would you like to become Mrs. Remley? make a very good father to your children. Don't get hysterical, girls. I didn't say yes. Uh, all right. Stop crying, kids. Alice, I'm not a homewrecker. If it means that much to you, I'll give you back the contract. Oh, Frankie, I knew you would. Come on, let's go over to your apartment and get well, it. Well, I haven't got it there. I just told that to Curly. I got it right here in my guitar case. <laughs> there you are. Oh, thanks, Frankie. You're a darling. You've made me happy. You've made the children happy. And when I tell Phil he's the star of the show again, he'll be happy, too. Yeah, but I'm not. <laughs> now I'm just a lousy guitar player again. <laughs> Goodbye, Alice. So long, kids. Goodbye, Frankie. Children, you were wonderful. I've got to find your daddy and tell him the news. It's a great day for the Harrises. It's a most unusual day Feel like throwing my worries away As an old native-born Californian would say It's a most unusual day There's a most unusual sky Not a sign of a cloud passing by And if I want to sing, throw my heart in the ring It's a most unusual day there are people Hello. meeting people. What do you know? There is sunshine everywhere. There are people greeting people. Goodbye. And the feeling of spring in the air. It's a most unusual time. Feeling my temperature climb. If my heart won't behave in the usual way, there's only one thing to say. It's a most unusual day. There is sunshine, yes, we mean sunshine, with apologies to Florida. There are people greeting people, and the feeling of fall in the air. It's a most unusual time. I keep feeling my temperature climb. If my heart won't behave in the usual way, there's only one thing to say it's a most unusual most, most unusual most, most unusual day Philip, I do not think we ought to break into Franklin's apartment. That's no way to solve your problem. Nobody's asking you. 
Now, Frankie said the contract is in his place, and I'm going to get it. Now, let's see. Remley's room is on the ground floor. Here it is. Now, look, I'll get down on my hands and knees, and you stand on my back so you can reach the window. Philip, I refuse to go through with this. Now, you can't back out. For once in my life, I need you. Well? Well, now, you listen to me. This contract means a lot of dough to me. I need your help. Well, in that case, I will make a deal with you. If I help you, you are to make me your business manager at $100 per week. (laughs) Did you major in blackmail at Harvard? (laughs) All right, it's a deal. Now, I'll get down on my knees and... What are you writing there? Putting our little deal on paper. Just sign here. Oh, okay. (laughs) Now, come on. Get up on my back. Very well. That's it. Now, open that window quick. Now, get in, Willie, and don't make any noise. Wow, what are the Bobsy twins up to now? (laughs) Julius, what are you doing in this alley? I got grocery customers here. Hey, you guys are trying to break in that apartment. I got a good mind to call the police. Now, wait a minute, Julius. Don't do that. If they catch me, I'll get 20 years in a clink. You don't want that to happen to me, do you? <laughs> Look, Julius, if you don't care about me, think of Miss Faye. Now, if you call the police, my poor wife will be left all alone for 20 years. Help my police! Julius! Now, don't do that. Please, kid. Look, I'm not robbing anybody. For. I'm just going in to get my radio contract with Rexall. A likely story. I'm going to call a cop. You better hold it a minute, grocery boy. Now, you better get away from here. Getting this contract means a lot of money to me. Money? Mr. Harris, are you trying to buy me off? <laughs> are you insinuating that I'd be quiet for the sum of, say, $10? I didn't say nothing about giving you $10. <laughs> Somebody say it and I accept. <laughs> all right, all right, then. Ten bucks, it's a deal. I'll mail it to you. Sign this, Philip. What is it? Your agreement with Julius. <laughs> That's my business manager that said that. Hand it to me. Here's the agreement, Julius. From now on, Mr. Harris agrees to pay you $10 a week. A week? I didn't... Julius, come back here. There's been a mistake. You wouldn't take advantage of me. You wouldn't take money every week for nothing, would you? If you can take it from Rex, all I can take it from you. <laughs> oh, that kid. I can't... Come on, Philip. Give me a hand. I'll help you through the window. Thanks. <clears throat> well, we're in at last. Now, let's find that contract before Frankie gets home. Shh, quiet now. We don't want the neighbors to hear us. I wonder where he has that contract. Could be in the dresser drawer. Or it could be in the sugar bowl. Yeah. It could be in his guitar case. That's where it was, but it ain't anymore. Frankie! (laughs) Yeah, Frankie. What are you guys doing in my apartment? Apartment? Yeah. Ain't this the Fairfax bus? Curly, what are you doing breaking into my place? I got a right to break into it. I'm after my contract, and I ain't leaving till I get it, and I hand it over. Oh, well, you're too late, Curly. I already Look, get... Frankie, if you'll give me the contract, I'll make it worth your while. Now, I'll make a deal with you. Not yet, Willie. 
We didn't even come to terms yet. Now, look, Frankie, if you'll hand over the contract, I'll give you $100 a week raise. But, Curly, you don't... I don't... Who don't? <laughs> I'll take it. Will you put that in writing? With Willie here, how can I help it? Sign here, Philip. There. Now, Remley, give me the contract and... Hey, it's Alice. Come on in, honey. Uh-uh. Oh, there you are, Phil. I thought you'd be here, and I've got wonderful news for you. Me too. I, I got, got the, the contract, contract back, back from Frankie. Frankie. <laughs> you got it? Yes, here it is. He gave it to me right after you left NBC. But I just gave him a hunt. Remley. <laughs> the master just left, sir. I'll tell him when he returns from Ninja. <laughs> Remley, you low down. Come on, Alice. Let's get out of here. No, no. Not until I thank Frankie. Frank, it was very noble of you to give up the contract for nothing. I appreciate it, and I'm going to see that you get more money on the show. You'll get a new deal. Willie, drop that pen. Phil's troubles make us realize we all have our problems. Yes, even including Rexall's men of science. For instance, every so often they must invite a select group of bacteria to a special dinner and watch them while they eat it. Sounds strange, doesn't it? But drug compounds often contain such tiny amounts of some ingredients that they're almost impossible to measure. And that's when the Rexall scientists actually serve bacteria a several-course meal each course consisting of different amounts of the ingredient they wish to measure. You see, bacteria like human beings need certain things in order to live. And if those factors are present in the proper quantity, the bacteria will naturally grow and thrive. So, by the way these bacteria guests react to each course of this elaborate dinner, Rexall's men of science are able to determine whether or not the ingredient being measured is present in the formula in the proper quantity. Now, the free dinner for bacteria is just one example, of course, but any Rexall druggist will tell you that each of the 2,000 or more drug products made by Rexall gets the same kind of precise and painstaking testing. That's why when you ask us to recommend a brand, we just naturally answer, you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall. Yeah. Look, kid. What's the matter? Well, I want to apologize for breaking into your apartment. Oh, that. Well, Alice told me that you gave her the contract, and, well, I'm sorry, Frank. I came back to thank you. Well, it's nothing, Curly. Oh, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Oh, it is. It's... As long as you had that contract, you, you had me in a hole. Oh, nonsense. Sure you had me in a hole. You could have become the star and made yourself a lot of money. Well, and I just want to say that it was very unselfish of you. Oh, I know. 
I guess I'm just a soft-hearted schnook. <laughs> well, goodbye, Curly. Bye, pal. Mm-hmm. Now, let's see, where did I put the photostatic copy of that contract? <laughs> What's that sign on your window say? Rexall, Sonny. What is Rexall? Well, first of all, it's a family of fine, pure drug products. More than 2,000 of them made by the Rexall Drug Company, son. Rexall also means the only stores where you can buy these Rexall drug products. Oh! Watch for Rexall's big one-cent sale, October 20th through the 23rd. On those four days, you can buy two famous guaranteed Rexall products for the price of one plus one cent. Look for Rexall's big one-cent sale at every store with the orange and blue Rexall sign in the window. This program was produced and directed by Paul Phillips. The part of Frankie Remley was played by Elliot Lewis, and Julius was played by Walter Tetley. Alice Fay appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from Rexall. Sunday is fun day. Stay tuned to this station for the Edgar Bergen Charlie McCarthy show, which follows immediately. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Jello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to our podcast of the Jack Benny Show. This is, a, this is the second episode of the 1938 season. Hope you're enjoying these episodes as much as I am. We do have a reviews in uh, that I received from last week's episode. We have a review from the Starbucks Gazette. And Starbucks gives us three ventes for our review. And from the Fisherman's Quarterly, we received... Two rods and a reel. I guess they didn't like it quite as much. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. It's a blast, as always. Um, I love the reviews at the beginning, as you can tell by my podcast here. (laughs) And uh, we'll see you again next week for the next week's show. J-E-L-L-O! The Jell-O Program, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Kenny Baker, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens the program with How Can I Thank You? You know, out here in Hollywood, the makeup men are famous for their ability to turn a talented actress into any of a dozen different characters, all gay and glamorous. Well, I was thinking, you can do something like that right in your own kitchen. Or you can turn one package of Jell-O into any of a dozen different treats that are truly glamorous to look at and simply grand to eat. Garnish your Jell-O with seasonal fruits, molded in shimmering layers. Serve it whipped, light and frothy as air. Use Jell-O for crisply molded salads or tempting new relishes. Yes, there are as many ways to serve Jell-O as there are days in the year. And however you choose to serve Jell-O, you're sure of a success. For all six flavors bring you that delicious, extra-rich fruit flavor that can't be topped for sheer, satisfying goodness. So look for the big red letters when you buy. They spell Jell-O.
And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you our master of ceremonies. I could say he's one of the greatest comedians of all time. I could say he's one of the most glamorous lovers of the screen. I could say he's an outstanding personality. Well, why don't you? All right, I will. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Benny. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and listen, Don, no more of that I could say stuff. For heaven's sake, if you have anything as nice as that on your mind, come out with it. I can take it. Well, uh, at first I was going to, Jack, but then I thought I'd better tone it down a bit, not make it too strong. Don, I wish you wouldn't mull over things. If you have a sudden thought that I'm marvelous, say so. And if you think I'm a heel, think it over. <laughs> That's my motto. I'll remember that. I wish you would. Oh, uh, by the way, Jack, uh, what did you hear about our opening program last week? Any comments? Well, Don, to tell you the truth, I got mixed opinions on it. You know how people are. Mm, kind of spotty, huh? Yeah, some people thought our show was marvelous, but others thought it was terrific. <laughs> That's what I like to hear, both sides, you know? Well, Jack, uh, didn't anyone say the show was bad? No, Don, not a soul. I didn't hear one unfavorable comment. Jack, that's unbelievable. I know it. That's the trouble. <laughs> but on the whole, Don, the critics were very nice. Now, take Jimmy Fiddler. He was grand. He gave us two bells and a tinkle. <laughs> <laughs> a tinkle? Yes, that's a bell, only he doesn't put his heart into it. You know? <laughs> uh, did you hear anything nice about our show, Don? Oh, yes, I did. I read a swell review in the Grapefruit Grower's Journal. Oh, the... Grape, the grapefruit growers, did they like us? I'll say they gave us three squirts. <laughs> well, that's marvelous, a squirt, eh? Did you call me, Jack? <laughs> no, no, Kenny, but as long as you're here, stick around. Uh, Don and I were just talking about our first program. Did you hear anything about it, Kenny? Oh, my mother was crazy about it. Well. She thought it was very asinine. <laughs> oh, she did. Well, you didn't help the show any, dragging in that goofy valet of yours that you brought back from England. What a guy that was. You mean Higgins? Yeah, I don't see him around. Where is he? Oh, it's his night off, so he took my girl to the movies. Your girl? Kenny, how can you be so dopey as to let your valet take your girl to the movies? Oh, that's all right. Tomorrow night, he's taking me. <laughs> Honey, I thought that was going to be a bop. So did I. Oh, well, um... Anyway, Kenny, if I were you, I'd fire that guy before he goes too far. I not really me. Would. Why not? Well, every time I tell him he's fired, he gives me a spanking. Well, that's the worst yet. You need a ballot like... Oh, hello, Phil. Hiya, man. What are you throwing around tonight? Oh, nothing, nothing. Say, Phil, Don and I were talking about last week's show. We got some pretty nice comments. Did you hear anything? Well, Maurice, my hairdresser, loved it. <laughs> Say, that's... <laughs> that's intriguing, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing, Phil. The newspapers were grand to us, simply wonderful. They sure were, every one of them. Did you see that swell write-up we got in the Bartender's Gazette? <laughs> the Bartender's Gazette? Well, well, what do they think of it? They gave us three Mickeys. <laughs> <laughs> Mickeys? And I don't mean Rooney's. Well, that was nice of them, but that I'd rather have one in print than in a glass, you know? <laughs> oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Say, how do you feel after last night? 
Oh, I'm all right. Why? Well, don't your legs feel kind of stiff? No, no, of course not. Where were you last night, Jack? Oh, uh, Mary and I went to the ice carnival here at the uh, at Pacific Auditorium. It was a great show, too. And afterwards, we went skating ourselves. Boy, did we have fun. I'll say. Can you skate, Jack? Can I? <laughs> you know, fellas, it's the most amazing thing last night. Now, I haven't been on ice skates in over ten years. Yet the minute I got on them... Down you went. <laughs> well, naturally, my ankles were a little weak. What do you expect after ten years? But, Jack, for a fellow that's as much out of condition as you are, you shouldn't even try it. Look, Phil, that's just why I did it. I think skating is great exercise. It's marvelous for you. Well, I like it even better than horseback riding. You could have used a saddle last night. <laughs> all right, all right, don't exaggerate. Was there a big crowd there, Jack? Oh, sure, everybody was there. Joan Crawford, Eddie Cantor, Hedy Lamar. Oh, a whole flock of them. Oh, boy, Jack, do you know Joan Crawford and Hedy Lamar? Do I? I call them Joan and Hetty. If that means anything. <laughs> it don't mess your neck with them. Well, Kenny, I didn't get that fresh. But if you want to know something, I helped Hetty Lamar on with her skates, and then I went all around the rink with her. Did Jack really do that, Mary? He had to. He got his fingers caught in the strap. <laughs> well, it was fun anyway. Say, Jack. What? <laughs> tell him about that trick you did jumping over the three barrels. Now, wait a minute. Don't try to be funny. What was it, Mary? Well, oh. Jack was showing off in front of Joan Crawford. <laughs> Now, listen, Mary. Go on, Mary. So he put three barrels oh, together on the ice, and when he went to jump over them... <laughs> what happened? His suspenders broke. Is that so? <laughs> His suspenders broke, huh? I'll bet the house came down. <laughs> that wasn't all. <laughs> Well, what of it? I got over the barrels, didn't I? Huh? And then when Jack started to do a figure Mary, eight... now let's drop the whole thing. Skating, barrels, and everything. About time for your song, Kenny. What are you going to sing? I'm going to sing, so help me. And you know, Jack, I don't think that accident of yours was a bit funny. You might have got hurt. Why, certainly. I might have broken my neck. That's right. <laughs> oh, go ahead and sing. And listen, Mary, I want to tell you something. If you don't come down... Every word I say, you seem to doubt me. I don't know where I stand from day to day. My heart demands I tell you this about me. I love you. What more can I say? I don't love you So help me May I never know a breath of spring May I never hear the birds that sing 
so help me if I don't love you. And if I lie, then rain should fall from heaven and blight each day with its teeming. Night should never bring sleep with its dreaming. I never see the sight of you And without you, what am I to do? So help me If you don't love me So Help Me, sung by Kenny Baker. And, Kenny, I don't have to tell you that it was very good. No, I know. <laughs> I know you know. I know Jack knows you know. Cease, children, lest we get into a routine. <laughs> and now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, as we announced last week, uh, tonight we are going to... Uh... Hey, wait a minute. Where's Rochester? Here I am, boss. Well, I'm glad you're here. Now, look, Rochester... Uh, the reason I sent for you is we're short of actors, and I want you to be in our play tonight. Now, uh, here's your part. Go over in the corner and get familiar with it. Okay. Yeah. Say, boss. Yes. I don't want to be mercenary, but do I get any additional stipend for my efforts? <laughs> What's that? Doggone, as soon as I mention money, you get deep. <laughs> Look, Rochester, stop complaining. You're getting enough from me already. I am? Yes. I've been working for you for two years, and all I get is a pocket full of dreams. Never mind. Now go over in the corner and study your part, will you? Yes, sir. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as we announced last week, for our feature attraction tonight, we are going to offer our version of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's current film success, Yellow Jack. <laughs> Thank you. A dramatization of the struggle against yellow fever during the Spanish-American War. I will play the part of Dr. Benny of the United States Medical Corps, a fearless scientist in the cause of humanity. Mary Livingston will play the part of Miss Blake, my nurse, as portrayed on the screen by lovely Virginia Bruce. What a girl. Virginia Bruce. Gee, she's beautiful. Yeah. Well, let's get on with the play. <laughs> Now, uh, <clears throat> now, Phil Harris will play the part of that dashing young soldier, Shar Sergeant O'Hara. Hey, Jack, am I going to handle the love interest? No, Phil, all you're going to do is catch yellow fever. Can I catch it from a blonde? <laughs> Definitely not. Now, Kenny will play the part of Private O. Baker, as smart a soldier as ever threw a hand grenade and forgot to let go. Do I always have to be a private? Why can't I be a general? Because you don't know enough to come in out of the shrapnel. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Now, Don Wilson will play the part of my associate, Dr. O. Wilson. As capable a surgeon as ever operated on a banana to embellish a dish of jello. Well, well, Don. <laughs> 
say, you certainly reached for that. No wonder our sponsor always sends you the best Christmas present. Oh, I don't know. You don't do so bad yourself. He's right, Jack. Last year, our sponsor sent you a beautiful gift. Beautiful gift. How often do I use an egg beater? <laughs> Maybe once in a blue moon. <laughs> Well, anyway, Rochester, my butler, at no increase in salary, will play the part of Private Van Jones of the United States Army. That's me, as fast as soldiers ever won a hundred-yard dash from a bullet. Rochester, we don't want any cowards in this army. Well, somebody's got to pick up the brave ones. <laughs> You've got something there. But I need real tough guys, ready to do or die. Man, you're looking right through me. <laughs> All right, that's enough. And now, folks, our play Yellow Jack will go on immediately after the next number. What's it going to be, Phil? I don't know. The boys have a surprise for me. <laughs> oh, this ought to be rich. Play, Mr. Leaderman. Play. <laughs> a surprise number played by Phil Harris and his grab bag orchestra. <laughs> Say, Phil, as long as you didn't know what the number was going to be, why were you standing in front of the band waving your baton? I was trying to mix them up. <laughs> well, congratulations. You did a marvelous job. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, for our blast of the evening, Yellow Jack or Boy Meets Mosquito. <laughs> The scene is the United States Army headquarters near the thriving little town of Rumba Center, Cuba, which is just three shakes and a wiggle from Havana. As the scene opens, we find Dr. Benny of the Medical Corps busy in his laboratory. There is a tense look on his face as he peers into his microscope. Curtain. Cayuba. <laughs> Good heavens, what a stroke of luck. 
Oh, nurse, Miss Blake. What is it, Dr. Benny? I made a sensational discovery. Look in this microscope. It's the biggest germ I've ever seen. Here, look. That's your thumb. <laughs> Darn it, and I've been studying it for a week. Oh, I'm so worried, I don't know where I'm at. All our soldiers have yellow fever and they're dying like flies, and I can't stop it. Well, I must get on with my work. Miss Blake, where's my hypodermic needle? In your arm. Oh. Well, take it out. You know it don't belong there. Yes, sir. Oh, doctor, doctor. Yes, Private Baker. I've just discovered another man with yellow fever. You did? Where is he? Right here. Hello, Mr. Blenny. That's my laundry man. Get him out of here. <laughs> oh, I have failed miserably. Where does this germ come from? What does it look like? What can I do? What time is it? Oh, I don't know. I tell you, I don't know. <laughs> but this is too much. I'm going mad. Is that the phone? If it's not, we're both nuts. <laughs> Hello? Yes? You have? I'll tell him right away. What is it, nurse? Dr. Wilson has located a specialist who's been studying yellow fever for 20 years. And he knows what causes it. They're waiting outside now. Well, show him in. Hurry. Yes, sir. Right this way, quack. <laughs> hmm. Um. Uh, good morning, Dr. Wilson. Uh, good morning. Uh, Dr. Benny, I want you to meet Dr. Nazaro, the famous authority on tropical diseases. Glad to know you, Doctor. Who's the dame? <laughs> That's my nurse. You may go, Miss Blake. We're about to hold a conference. Okay, I think I'll scram over to Ward C and grab a few pulses. Goodbye. <laughs> well, gentlemen, let's get down to business. Tell me, Dr. Nazaro, are you positive you've discovered the cause of yellow fever? Yes. After much intensive research, I have discovered... That the disease is carried by mosquitoes. Mosquitoes? Gazooks. You know, I had a hunch all along that it was mosquitoes. Why, doctor, you told us it was elephants. Well, I was in there punching. <laughs> Tell me, doctor, how did you arrive at this conclusion? Well, to begin with, Dr. Benny, there are over 800 different varieties of mosquitoes. Well, slap me down and call me shorty. <laughs> 800 different kinds. You know them all by name? Yes. First, there's the, uh, there, the Rechendin Sulfan Trichendin. Yes? Then there's the Bangin Twengin Flundin and the Sangin Flemdis Curve That's amazing! But possibly the most dangerous species of all is the Bangin Flundin Dindin. Oh, those, they're vicious little devils. Come to the point, Doctor. Which one of these mosquitoes carries the deadly germ of yellow jack? It's the smallest one of all. A tiny insect called the stegomyia. The stegomyia? Oh, this is very important, Doctor. Are you positive? That's it, Frederick. That's it. That's all I want to know. At last, Dr. Wilson, our problems are over. All we have to do now is find a stegomyia. But first, we must find out where we can get hold of one. That's right. They may be ticklish. <laughs> Next, we must find a volunteer. I'll wait for that one, folks. <laughs> Next, we must find a volunteer who is willing to expose himself to the bite of the deadly stegomaya. And then, gentlemen, we will have discovered the secret of Yellow Jack. Calling all stegomayas. Calling all stegomayas. Report to the base hospital at once. Bring your stingers. That is all. Two days later, Dr. Benny's laboratory is filled with cages and cages of mosquitoes. The experiment is about to begin. 
Well, that's the last time I'm going to tell you. <laughs> All I need is one man who will gamble with death. How are you, Miss Blake? Yes, uh, pardon me, Dr. Benny, but there's a group of soldiers outside, and there's a volunteer among them. What's the group of soldiers for? They're dragging the volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Send them all in at once. Come on in, men. Company! Halt! <laughs> Company! Halt! <laughs> Company! Halt! <laughs> oh, cut it out now, fellas. <laughs> Attention, men. Now, you've been called here to perform a brave and fearless duty. One of you must step forward and offer to be bitten by a stegomaya mosquito. It is a dangerous assignment, and you may not come out alive. Now, which one of you men will be the first to volunteer? Not me. I'm a coward. A coward? Shake, brother. <laughs> oh, men, men, please. It's good for the good of humanity. Now, who, who'll give his life for his country? Hmm. Well, that's settled. Oh, no. How about you, Rochester? Will you enter that chamber and be bitten by a stegomaya? I wouldn't go in that room if I was a cat with only two down and seven to go. <laughs> but what have you got to lose? You're not a married man. You have no wife, no children. No, but I got a future and I'm going to use it up. <laughs> oh, this is terrible. Terrible. What are we going to do? Well, what about you, Dr. Benny? Why don't you volunteer? Me? Why, why I would, Dr. Wilson, but I can't. I just started an ad a pearl necklace. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be glad to. Oh, doctor, I'm disappointed in you. Don't let this experiment down. Be brave and let that mosquito bite you. Very well, Miss Blake. I will. Oh, no, doctor, no. What am I saying? Don't do it. I love you. You mustn't do it. All right, then. I won't. Why, you dirty coward. <laughs> what? And to think that I once loved you. Yes, just a second ago. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going. I've got other important things to do. Why, Jack, you're yellow. Yes, you're yellow, Jack. Yellow Jack, 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 Yellow The following day, Dr. Benny has just entered the room where the poisonous stegomoya mosquitoes have been turned loose. He is wearing only a suit of armor. I am not. <laughs> and the experiment begins. Well, where are they? Come on, you winged devil. Let's get this over with. Mm. Oh, there they are. There they are. See, they got a mean look. <laughs> There's one close to me. Go away. He's getting closer. Scat! Scat! <laughs> <laughs> Lucky.
lucky I got this flypaper on my chest. Hmm. Well, this baby means business, but I'll get him. Get away! Get away! Well, I got that one. Gee, that's only three of them so far. I wonder where the rest of them are. Ah, here comes a whole band of them. Oh, boy, swing, you singers. See, look at them. Good heavens, here comes a big one. I can't stand this. I know what I'll do. the big one. I know what I'll do. I'll hide in this Murphy bed. Move over, Murphy. <laughs> He's coming closer. <laughs> Gee, I'm scared. Hey, are you a Stegomaya? I ain't Corrigan. <laughs> get away, get away. I can't stand this. And so, folks, I was stung by the deadly stegomaya. It caught yellow fever, and I lived to marry Miss Blake, my nurse. Oh, darling. Oh, dear. Oh, honey. She just went out with Sergeant Harris. Oh, well, I'm a hero anyway. Playboy. <laughs> not every day in the week that you can discover something brand new and different to have for dessert, but tomorrow you can. Yes, sir, you can go straight to your nearest grocery store and find three new desserts. Three delicious new Jell-O puddings, butterscotch, vanilla, and chocolate. And they're three of the most tempting desserts that you've tasted in a long time. For they're rich with real homemade goodness. That butterscotch pudding smooth and mellow with good old-fashioned brown sugar. And it has a swell sort of glossy taffy color. It's easy to make, too, for all you do is add some milk, then cook till the mixture's thick and smooth. Then try Jell-O vanilla pudding. It's real vanilla, no artificial flavoring. It's cream-colored and delicate, a family dessert you'll all enjoy. And that prime favorite, Jell-O chocolate pudding, as rich and tempting as the kind that Mother used to make, but far quicker and easier. The simple directions are on every package, and a swell idea is to ask your grocer for three packages at a time. Jell-O, butterscotch, vanilla, and chocolate pudding. This is the last number of the second program in the new Jell-O series, and we will be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to announce that Sunday, October 16th, an all-day carnival and garden party will be held on the New York World Fairground to enable the public to meet the stars of stage, screen, and radio in person for the benefit of the Stage Relief Fund. And tomorrow night, Al Pierce and his gang will begin a new series of broadcasts over most of these stations. You can see your local paper for the time. Be sure to listen in. I hope you like our little play tonight, and I would also like to announce, folks, that although the mosquitoes on our program tonight gave a vivid performance... They were not real Stegomayas. In fact, they did not sting. No, but the play did. <laughs> oh, Georgine Levenston, huh? Good night, folks. J-E-L-L-O. <laughs>
tune in tomorrow night over most of these same stations for Al Pierce and his gang. Check your local paper for time and station. Pocket Full of Dreams is from the picture Sing You Sinners. Kenny Baker appears on the Jell-O program through courtesy of Mervyn Leroy Productions. This is the National Broadcasting Company.